all that I've learned is that delegation and trust are more important than you can ever imagine. I held on to a lot of things because maybe we didn't want to spend the money on an HR manager at 15 people. We just put an HR system in at 15 people, right? So for the first 15 people, we were doing everything in Google Sheets. But after that, we realized we needed a system. So then we ended up putting the, the work in. But the only way that I'm able to travel full time in this fifth wheel <laughs> with my beautiful wife and two kids is to have all of the things that were on my responsibility plate over the first five years off. And it's to the right people. If we come back to the advice piece, it's take the people that have earned the trust, give them all of the freedom and opportunities to take it over, and you'll be surprised with how great it is. Hey, this is Heath Padgett, and welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, episode 163. The RV Entrepreneur is a weekly podcast for nomadic entrepreneurs, and on today's episode, I'm sitting down with Chad Davis who is one of the co-founders of LiveCA, a 100% remote accounting firm with around 60 employees now. When Chad and his partner first started LiveCA, it was not actually legal to operate this kind of tax, accounting, all the other types of services they do without a physical address. You actually had to have an address. But instead of deciding against starting this business, he worked with a government agency in charge and actually helped them remake the law and consulted with them on how his type of business could operate fully remote and really helped pave the way because he really believed in this idea and he knew it would work. In today's episode, we dig into the early days of Live CA, the processes his team has created to attract amazing remote employees and how he's now doing all of this from the road while he's traveling across the country in his fifth wheel with his family. Pumped for you guys to hear this interview with Chad. Without further ado, let's get into it. Chad, what's up, man? Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Heath. Really appreciate it. So let's start with your email reach out to me because that actually wasn't where I was going to start this podcast, but it's kind of just a fun <laughs> and random thing because I think that people don't always reach out in the best way. Like we get quite a few emails on a daily, weekly basis from people who are, it's like super inauthentic and it's like a templated message. And so I guess, first of all, like what inspired the email and the way you reached out to us that got our immediate attention and like wanted to jump on a call and, and chat and everything? Sure. So we were, we spent Christmas in Pismo Beach in California and it was epic, incredible. I got to spend so much time with my seven-year-old girl, a three-year-old boy as well. But on that one day, I had taken her to this French bakery that was, you know, five minutes down the road to where the campground was. And we were listening to your podcast of all things. She loves listening to podcasts. Uh, she said, who's that? I said, that's Heath. He puts on a podcast. She goes, daddy, why don't you go on that? I said, ah, oh, nah, it's fine. He goes, daddy, just do it. So I said, well, I'm in a French bakery. Let's go to the truck and just record a quick video so we can get back and see your mother. Um, so that's why the video might have only been a minute, but it was uh, it was a quick reach out and it was completely due to Olivia. So uh, huge thanks to my seven year old for instigating that. No, I love it. Tell Olivia I said thank you and hello, and I hope she's having a great adventure. Uh, no, I just I just loved it. And again, that was completely random. I thought about it as soon as I clicked record, but I just thought it, it it's helpful because I love creating the habit of reaching out to people because I can't tell you how many relationships 
we have in our life now, people who are super dear friends. Like my favorite example is I've never reached out to an app developer in my life, but I downloaded this app called the moment app. It tracks how often you spend time on your phone, like years and years before Apple released their own time tracker and stuff like that. And I downloaded it and I was like, this is amazing. I love it so much. And I found the person who had created that app. Again, I've never done this before. And I just sent this guy like a super personal email just saying, Hey man, you made this app for me. Like it's going to help me live more in the moment, live with my wife. And I really appreciate it. It wasn't a pitch. I had nothing to sell. I had nothing to really gain other than just wanting to sincerely reach out and say thank you. And he like found a link in my bio and he was like, oh, you know, we're actually, we do tent camping and all this stuff. And his app has millions of downloads, like 8,000 people, something crazy downloaded a day. So like, I know he gets a lot of support emails and from people. And, um, and long story short, he's been on this podcast three times. His name's Kevin Holish. He's one of my dearest friends. Now I talked to him on the phone, like almost once a week. And like, it, we've had a lot of good adventures together on the road, all from like this random little habit from that's kind of like went back years and years of like randomly reaching out to people in an authentic way. Cause you never know what's going to happen. Like the worst that can happen is somebody says no, or doesn't respond. We are kindred spirits. I think I, I downloaded a moment years ago when I had an iPhone. Android user now, but uh, huge thanks to Kevin. Thanks for building that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay, that's cool that you that you have it too. So very cool app. Plug for Kevin's app moment and uh, his wife Mandy. They are an awesome team. Anyway, so digging into your story, Chad. So where are you guys at? Let's start there. Where are you guys at right now? And what are you up to in your life? That's a lot of questions. All right, let's do it. <laughs> so uh, where are we at now? Today we're on this incredible mountaintop uh, just east of LA. We're looking at and like these beautiful facades of mansions and compounds and mountains, they get to look at our campground, which is pretty <laughs> funny. <laughs> um, uh, hopefully, their trailer fanatics and they like looking at it. But it's um, it's this uh, it's, it's in San Dimas, California. We're here for a couple days, just uh, on our way over to the to that annual Escapers Bash in Lake Havasu. So uh, we're just doing you know some some powered campground uh, glamping here now while we work. And um, that's why we're in California. Love it. Well, let's dig into your company that you're running from the road, live.ca, which is a 100% remote uh, accounting firm. And I know there's a lot of different angles and things that we want to kind of chat about, but I guess take me back to the beginning. You guys are now at 60 employees, you've grown and you've went through a lot of barriers to get where you're at now. But if you go back to the very beginning, where did this idea come about for you to start this, this firm? And, and, uh, and yeah, if you can just kind of dig into that a little bit. Sure. So I, I remember the day that I wanted to leave my uh, my job. I was living in the Cayman Islands. Uh, we were there for about four years. And I was working with an incredible, incredible guy and team. But one weekend I was with my wife and we were in the, of all things, this is so cliche, but we were, we were in the water just floating around. It was a Sunday. And I just said, what if, like, what if we went back to Canada, went with the cold, it was snowing at the time and said, what if we just brought back this sort of online accounting software movement that's happening in New Zealand and Australia and bring it over to Canada because literally no one was doing it. And it Wait, was just I, just, I want to I stop you right there, Chad. I, I super <laughs> apologize. I try not to like interrupt guests often, but I just feel like I have to address the fact that you are in the Cayman Islands floating around <laughs> in the water with your wife and you're bringing up accounting software and talking about moving back to Canada. And I just want to point that out with love and just say like proceed with your story 
<laughs> really funny. <laughs> Don't you have a new podcast out this week that's talking about working with your wife and, and your spouse and uh, yes, I do. partners? Yeah. Yes. There you yeah. go. Good lesson. No, no, no. I love it. It's it's just so funny. It was something I would totally do, by the way. I just think it's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. Look, I mean, not to get too sappy, but she's my best friend. I love her more than I love life. And, you know, I would never, you know, make any decisions like this without her. Absolutely. So one of the things you, you you do. So we're yeah, there. Floating islands, warmth, and then snow, horrible snow in Canada, uh, to bring back accounting software of all that. So um that was the you know, the the starting uh of Live C A. We were not the company we were you know, today we are not the company that we were back then, uh, almost six years ago. And you know, if you if you start at the very very beginning of Live CA, it was um, my business partner Josh, uh, who started this while he was actually living overseas as well. And we met online. I was doing you know my thing and with my company, he was doing his thing with his company. And we realized, you know, he, we met over Skype of all things. You know, before Zoom existed and all these other things like. He reached out on Skype and or over email and said, we should chat and see what's going on. So I said, yeah, sure, of course. Um, we ended up having, you know, fast forward three months, we had a bank account before we had even shaken hands. Uh, the first time I met him was when we were creating our partnership agreement. And, you know, six years later, and now we've got, you know, an incredibly awesome company that I love working with and the people are just, you know, near and dear to my heart. So this is... Uh, you know, that's, that's the, that's the quick, quick nutshell. No, I, yeah, that's, that's awesome. And I, it sounds like I, I met my business partner in a very similar way, but you, you had mentioned something that you wanted to bring the kind of remote accounting firms that were already taking place in Australia and New Zealand to Canada. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like what was going on in New Zealand and, um, in Australia that wasn't happening in Canada? Uh, is this where we start losing visitor or listeners because we're, we're talking accounting or is this where we gain them? I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah, we'll, we'll keep it pretty high level. But I guess I'm I'm always interested to hear like um, I brought on some some folks on this podcast who like I think they went to France and they realized like people were camping on farms and wineries and how cool that was. And so they brought, you know, Harvest Host, if you're familiar to, to the U.S., and so that it's always the podcast that yeah. we were listening to in the French bacon. Oh, wow. That's so funny. So yeah, it's just super cool to, to kind of hear when people go somewhere else, live abroad and basically realize like, wait, this is an amazing idea that is like fully formed in this other country, but it's not even back home even a little bit. So I just kind of wanted to figure out like, how'd you come across it? And, and, and then how that transformed into what you guys do now. Sure. So there's, you know, two major revolutions happening in the accounting industry over the last 30 years. Desktop accounting software that replaced manual ledgers and then throwing that online. So basically <laughs> you're talking about like FreshBooks, QuickBooks, all of exactly. these guys. Okay. Exactly. So between that shift, between everyone using desktop and then, you know, having these tools be introduced, there's a lot of things that are missing. There's a lot of opportunities. Um, and there were, there are very few people that were just focused on it. So I think your original question, like what was happening in New Zealand, right? And, and what's going on there. But what was happening is that they were frustrated that, you know, the traditional accounting relationship is an accountant, maybe a bookkeeper that's not related to the accountant or a big firm that they had, you know, hard uh, times, you know, having everybody on the same page. And to fix that, they they wanted to create what was called this single ledger, uh, where there was one source of truth, everybody working in the same system. It just seems so 
you know, table stakes nowadays. But, you know, even in late 2000s, it wasn't. Um, it was harder. So in New Zealand, uh, this company called Zero partnered with a company that had Banklink, and they were creating, you know, this one single set of records, integrating with a bank account, kind of like Mint over the last, you know, however many years Mint's been around, but putting it into accounting software. And QuickBooks Online has been around for a while, FreshBooks, Wave, all those guys. But they were really trying to take it up a notch to try to compete with the quality of the QuickBooks desktop around the world and Sage products and things like that. So, you know, fast forward 10 years and and this little company from, from New Zealand called Zero uh, is now a publicly listed company with billions of dollars in market cap. And now they're the number one accounting software in New Zealand, Australia, and the UK. And they're obviously not going to penetrate into it in the US, but in Canada, there's some opportunities. So that's that's where that came from. Yeah. So you're basically looking at this and like it's working, it's validated. Let's bring it to life in Canada. So you meet your business partner and he had already started the company, it sounds like, but you came in early enough, I saw, to get kind of co-founder status in life.ca, right? Yeah, there were two completely different companies, right? And um, this is this is one where we just we wanted to marry tax and technology. So uh, Josh and I are both CPAs. I went the sort of tech route. He went the uh, the licensed public route. Um, and we just married each other really early on in his company, just a couple months after he started it. And I shut down uh, mine and we, uh, we merged and created a new partnership. How did you know that it was going to be a good partnership? Because that's something <laughs> that like, I, I know that you've got a lot of interesting things about your business and the fact that you guys are remote and the obstacles you had to get through to become that. But I just, I know I went through a lot of this whenever I was trying to form campground booking and go through and figure out, you know, it's a lot of pressure. You're ultimately entering into something that a lot of people compare to a similar but different level of like a marriage with somebody. Like it's the closest thing. So how did you know that? Uh, your business partner was, for lack of better words, the one. <laughs> I will. I I very much love my business partner Josh, and you don't throw that word around a lot. But you know, it is it is a strong, strong, trusting relationship. And when you start realizing that you're a better person, you know, not just financially, and you know, you're, you're smarter around them, but you know that they're the same way around you, then you know you've got a good sort of symbiotic. It really is like a symbiotic relationship. And we are very different, the exact opposite. I have hundreds of unread emails. He has zero every 30 minutes. You know what I mean? We're just completely different, um, different beasts. But that's what has been the strength that's created, um, you know, a very incredible, like spurts of growth and tactical, thoughtful um, progress. And then the empathetic, slow, nurturing culture side. So how do I know? Every conversation flows smoothly. We've never had a fight in six years. Um, I don't know if that's good or bad, but it seems like it's really good because I'm enjoying that. I know he is too. Um, and then the company is working. So maybe those are three things that you could use to see if a partnership's working, but we really enjoy building this together. And I know if, if Live CA wasn't in the cards, we'd still be friends. No, I love that. And did you guys decide to go, um, and I apologize, I, I read, you know, as much as I could find, but did you guys end up going like a bootstrapped route with live.ca or did you go out and raise investment? No, um, we used all the money in the beginning um, from our customers to fund. Within one month, we um, hired our first team member, his name's Dave. And uh, Dave just recently got promoted to partner of the company uh, a couple months ago. 
uh, he was our CTO for the longest time. And um, super, super glad that, you know, someone chose to leave their government position with, you know, cushy pension and all that kind of fun stuff. He could really go wherever he wanted. He's, he's that smart. And uh, he chose to be with us. So we, uh, you know, first hire a month in and then, you know, with some turnover and stuff, we probably have hired close to 80 or 90 people in the last six years. Oh, wow. So, so you met Josh, you guys decided you gelled well with each other, like, let's do this. Um, so kind of walk me through some of the next decisions that you guys went through to get the business going. I know one of those decisions was deciding to make the whole company 100% remote, like no office whatsoever. Was this something that like from day one, you guys were really intentional on because you were already traveling and out like living abroad, or was that something that kind of just happened a little bit after the fact? No, it was always the, the idea. Josh had his reasons. I had my reasons. His reasons uh, were that he loved to travel, right? So he spent time in Tel Aviv, Buenos Aires, Brazil, uh, Canada, Chile, like it, all kinds of places. And that was his, you know, mantra for, for life just, it was to travel. Mine, you know, congratulations on <laughs> the baby number one for you guys too, hopefully soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we, um, we had a kid uh, in 2011 and that changed our lives. So my number one priority was her and my wife and business was second or maybe third after health, maybe, maybe, uh, depending on the day. Yeah. But um, it was always about um, being with them. So as, as much as, you know, we wanted to think that, you know, yes, we're remote, you know, that's kind of cool and the sexy thing to do. It had nothing to do with that. It was about spending time at home with them, you know, being a support system and then letting my business partner obviously do what he likes to do in life. So we've never had an office. Um, for the first couple of years, we probably barely met any clients or customers, remote, uh, you know, face to face. You know, nowadays we we realize how important that is. But when you're just growing and growing and growing and putting all the money back in, and well, sorry, not putting all the money back in, but you know, reinvesting as much as necessary to hire, you know, the next kind of group of companies or uh, team members. That's that's kind of what we did and why. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. At the time, was it? okay to have a fully remote um, accounting firm? It was illegal to operate a remote licensed CPA firm in Canada in 2012. And when did you guys start? <laughs> 2012. Okay. Uh, so, so it was illegal. I, you know, I can go into the story if you'd like and kind of keep it short if, if, you, if, you, if you'd like. No, I, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm super interested in, in kind of understanding like how you get past that because that's a pretty big barrier to entry that it, you know, you're starting yeah. basically an illegal business, right? <laughs> yeah. And one in a, in a highly regulated licensed <laughs> environment as, as well. So first off, I want to say that when we knew that we were uh, not having an office, we, we went and we talked to the national body for CPA Canada and asked them, pretty much said to them, look, this is what we're building. This is where the world's moving to. Would you like to be a part of it? And they said, yes. I've never had such a positive relationship with a regulatory body than we have with CPA Canada and CPA Ontario, which is the provincial side. Those two bodies have worked hand over fist to learn how remote companies work, how education is provided how it impacts culture, ethics, professionalism, all of the important things that are tenants and their, their, their mantras. The road, you know, to make a three-year story uh, very, very short, 
they passed legislation uh, to the Charter of Code of Conduct in Canada for uh, companies to operate remotely without an office based on the work that we did with them um, after just reaching out after like a, co- a cold email. So incredibly proud moment. I think there might be a pinned tweet on our Twitter handle, at LiveCA, LLP, I think it is. Um, or just at LiveCA, I don't know. I should know that stuff. But um, yeah, it, it, when they recognized that it was front page news, you know, it was in Global Mail in Canada, it was in their CPA magazines, as far as accountants were concerned, it was pretty front page news <laughs> to be able to to train official CPAs remotely. And um, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So what did that process look like for bringing, like, what is, the, what would be the big advantages of a firm? Obviously you guys have your motives f- as founders of the company, but for other employees, like what would be the large incentives to be a fully location independent? It's just like it is for every person, like being location independent, it's nice and I could do it from anywhere. You'd think that. I think what we've learned over the years is that when you take away a sense, you get a lot better at other ones. So that face-to-face social aspect really hones in your ability to write well, to articulate yourself well, and to put your thoughts into concise, meaningful statements. So I couldn't, I can pretty much say with certainty like 99% certainty that every single person that works here is a better writer three months after they join because part of our education is is teaching people how to write. Imagine the people a year, two, three years into it. They are incredible writers. They can speak well. They know how to reach out to people. So I think that those life skills of how to talk again is pretty great. I, I've read some weird stat that people, some people only talk to other people 12 minutes a day crazy (laughs) yeah so what so what are some of the things for people like whenever they're reaching out say like through email because it's so it's so important to like you said to be able to um, articulate yourself in the correct way and not come off in a negative connotation we're also in this age too where is it okay for me to throw like a, a smiley face and a professional i do it all the time after going to new zealand i think i've signed every email off which signed off with cheers like just it's a good feel. i don't know like whatever but i guess like what are some of the common things that people do wrong when it comes to written communication Sure, they they don't focus on the the purpose of the email, so they'll bury an ask halfway through. They won't use short form bullets uh, to put things concisely. Uh, subject lines will be, you know, I don't know what this is, <laughs> right? If, if you're clicking on it, um, we always, you know, start off with pleasantries. Uh, sometimes I think what you also what we also teach people is like understand why customers are paying us. And then know their type of communication preferences. And then from there, dictate your emails appropriately. So we have some customers who are, you know, public company CEOs. You send them a one-liner and they love it. Um, Otherwise, you might have, you know, someone that's just starting up and they want an explanation on, you know, why they don't have to sign up for provincial sales tax in British Columbia great. Maybe you go into a little bit longer, you link a video, you, you know, create a video yourself, you you put a lot more education and effort into it. But I think not knowing who you're reaching and what their communication preferences are, some of the biggest mistakes people make, and they try to do a blanket approach to everything. Oh, that totally makes sense. So you guys get live CA going, it becomes legal for you guys to operate your business. Now you start getting customers 
And a lot of times I'll try to, I'll dig into like, how'd you get your first customer and everything, but I kind of want to skip over that a little bit for this, for this particular interview and dig into more of the um, nuances of, of building a remote team. Um, sure. Just because you guys have, you've 60 employees, they're all 100% remote, correct? Are those like 60 employees plus you've got contractors or are those like a mixture of employees and contractors? No, I mean, there, there are a lot of business models for remote companies, uh, which include outsourcing and insourcing and contractors and you do what you can afford um, most of the time. Uh, sometimes you do it for tax reasons. Uh, sometimes you do it just for pure money reasons. But the route that we chose that aligns with our business model of very high-end um, accounting services is was to have all of our CPAs and employees and team, well, it's weird to say employees, but yeah, employees for tax purposes um, within Canada. So we have no one overseas. We've never used Upwork. You know, I told you the story already about Dave, the first em- employee. Like that was all with with real money, real benefits. You know, taxes being paid, all legitimate. And I don't really know where I was going with that, but um, building a remote team. Um, actually, what was the original question on this one? To be one hundred percent honest, I forgot, <laughs> but I've got a follow up. So let's let's just keep it moving. So with like with building a remote team. What have you done to keep people really engaged? Because within campground booking, like we've been bootstrapping, pouring everything back into the company. We don't have any full-time employees outside of like Paul and myself at this time, but we've had a lot of contractors that we work with. And from my experience, it's kind of hard to keep contractors engaged and, and things like that. I mean, like we have good relationships and stuff, but I guess like how have you been able to attract really great people to come work with you guys and like people like Dave have obviously been there for a long time. So like how have you attracted them and retained really great team members? First, what you said is absolutely right because the, the definition of a contractor is that they have their own self-interest at heart, not yours. Employees do. They have the company's interest because that's their, that's their livelihood. What we found is that when you hire decent human beings, they tend to care about others. And that care translates, it can most of the time, and we've got to course correct a few times, but it it should translate into respect. And I think that the single greatest reason why people join our company is not to be on the forefront of tech or because they need to get their CPA. They can get that anywhere. They do it because when they meet people and members of the team, they realize that it is a really special place and there is a lot of respect and a lot of care. And that is, it's demonstrated by our hiring process. So it's not, you know, interviews and um, decisions made and then you hope for the best. There is, you know, fast forward, you know, a few years and what we've built out for a hiring process is something I'm so proud of because it's not something that I built. It's what the team you know, organically built up over time. So really quickly, I know, um, hopefully this is okay to go into the details. Yeah, for sure. Let's do it. Yeah. Somebody will apply when we've received over the last six years, probably over 20,000 applications to work with us. And we've looked at every single one of them. Uh, we use a tool called recruiter box ever since day one to, to manage that in the applicant tracking system. And once someone comes through the single biggest, um, like defining, element of uh, whether or not they get an interview or not isn't the resume, but we put two preceding questions to test their writing and communication skills when it's not mandatory. So we'll say something like, why are you interested in this job? 
And what would you do if you never had to work another day in your life? The people that don't respond to those or put one-liner answers, they're automatically, it doesn't matter if they're the best CPA in the world, they're gone because there's not that empathy and that care there. Every single person that's been hired here has written paragraphs without being asked. The next stage is is a video, is a one-way video interview. For the, there's higher view and all these other nice, you know, big, bigger ones nowadays. Uh, but we use this smaller Canadian company called Kira Talent. They're big in the, the university scene for screening applications. So we send a one-way video uh, application. They fill out these like 30-second videos, just answering a couple questions. And then once they finish, the notification gets thrown into Slack. And there's three people that look at those. And we use, you know, some some emojis at the bottom if it's plus or negative. And then, uh, you know, if it gets a couple pluses, then we go to the interview stage. Boom. Once the interviews are over with two people, then we go to trial work days. Now, this has been the single biggest defining moment of our hiring process, these trial work days. We've created, I know you're familiar with Teachable. We have a Teachable course set up for every position in the company. They go through a two-day paid virtual experience, meeting up to 10 team members over two days and they get to work on projects. We test things like their technical abilities, their culture fit, their professional judgment, and their writing skills. Maybe I said that already, but there's, there's four things we test there. And everybody you know, is sent a Slack poll after the people are gone. It's all independent. Um, the results are then accumulated and sent out. And then we make a hiring decision uh, based off of all of that information. And it has worked really well. So how do you keep the culture going? You start with a really good hiring process. It's, it's full of respect. You course correct when that respect is not provided or you see things that are, that are outside the norm. Then you go from there. I could go on for days, but I'll, I'll let you interject now. Wow, what a freaking process. So I'm assuming like at some point you had almost a full-time person, if not a full-time person, who was working on that process, like getting everything set up, like figuring out what questions to ask and going through all that. Just because like processes are not my strong suit. So I'm just like, respect. I I saw in an email that came from you guys today, uh, Alyssa said that that is her strength. <laughs> it very much is. Very much is. Um, we shared the responsibility until we were about 40 people. So myself, uh, a gentleman named Chris Frame, who is, uh, was our COO for the longest time, and he recently got promoted to partner of operations. And Dave, we uh, we essentially did most of the work um, on the admin side and setting things up um, and hiring and doing the interviews. But um, once we hit around 40, we, we hired our, actually promoted, uh, one of the roles that we have is called an onboarding specialist and an onboarding associate. And what they do is they just bring people onto our platforms and set them up and do welcome calls. Uh, one of this, this woman's name is Brianna and she was so good at those calls and just loved life and is an incredible human being. And she ended up being the perfect fit for our HR manager. So now she's the HR manager and our entire company is better for it because now I'm not in charge of it. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. It's for kind of shifting from y'all's team processes into your role with the company and how it's changed over time. How have you balanced like the demands in your role as co-founder and then growing a team? And then at some point, like you're wearing so many hats. So I guess it's like, what advice would you have for somebody who is in a growing 
company or their business is starting to like grow past the demands of what they can do on a day-to-day basis, but maybe there's not either a ton of funds or maybe there's limited funds. I guess just like what kind of advice would you give from what you've learned on how to respect your own time and not burn out essentially? There's so many opinions on this. So not that I can add anything better, but I guess I could tell the story of me specifically. All that I've learned is that delegation and trust are more important than you can ever imagine. I held on to a lot of things because maybe we didn't want to spend the money on an HR manager at 15 people. We just put an HR system in at 15 people, right? So for the first 15 people, we were doing everything in Google Sheets. But after that, we realized we needed a system. So then we ended up putting the, the work in. But I think the way, instead of getting off on a tangent there, the only way that I'm able to travel full time in this fifth wheel <laughs> with my beautiful wife and two kids is to have all of the things that were on my responsibility plate over the first five years off. So that's everything, right? It's it's uh, it's HR. It's support for customers. I'm still in sales with my business partner, Josh. So that, that's one of the areas we're still putting a lot of effort into. Running, you know, the treasury departments, um, paying employee expenses, uh, dealing with payroll support, creating new teams. Um, all that stuff is now off and it's to the right people. And I think by, if we come back to the advice piece, it's take the people that have earned the trust, give them all of the freedom and opportunities to take it over. And you'll be surprised with how great it is because it's been life-changing for me. I just can't wait until they get to experience that and then, you know, have, have teams of their own. And they already do, but to the scale that, that I guess Josh and I have now, it's, it's incredible. Uh, and it's been the biggest change in 2018 and 19 that we've made that's even allowed me to go on this trip. Like, sorry, I shouldn't say the word trip. It's the way we live now. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you guys have been on the road since June. Like it's, it's, uh, yeah, you're getting past the, the trip point and all of that. Uh, kind of a random question. And I don't always ask this, but it's just kind of, it popped in my head as you were talking about it. Like you guys have grown a lot in the business. Seems like y'all have had a lot of customer growth, team growth, et cetera. And, and the company's been around now for seven years, six, seven years. In 2000. 12, 12 it was there yeah, so 13 it was five six years let's six, years. six years okay so in that period of time what do you feel like has been the biggest like thing you've actually you've absolutely like messed up on like that if you could go back and do it differently like you would totally redo it and i know everyone's answered this question is like i'm the person i am today so i wouldn't change anything but like looking back like you're like i probably would totally do that differently than i that i did it yeah that that uh is a question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, this sounds probably very cliche, so I'm so maybe I'll give you a tactical one and a cliche one. The cliche one is I wish I would have spent more time on my health because for years I just gained more weight than I should have, and um, just recently, you know, in the last year, started taking it more seriously to a point where I barely ate vegetables for three years, and then now like can't get enough of brussels sprouts like just, my mother would be so happy but like health is so important so when you're growing and you're grinding and you're not taking time for yourself like my again exact polar opposites from my business partner he runs every day at four o'clock at four o'clock i'm going to hug my kids but i should be running right so 
it's it's a very different life. On the tactical side, uh, from a business perspective, beyond the delegation piece, which I wish I would have done earlier, is try to put more emphasis on the data understanding our profitability. So we had different types of customers. We had different types of engagements. I know we didn't talk a lot about Live CA and like what our mantras have been and like our pillars, but we price up front and we don't use hours as a basis of remuneration. Um, so defining scope creep in that environment is incredibly important and we didn't do it a lot. So quick little examples like, hey, I'm going to add a credit card. Sure, let's just add that into the accounting, the accounting system and start processing receipts for it. What we should have said in the beginning was, you know, this includes pricing for two credit cards. When it goes to three, we will rescope. We didn't do that for years. So I think if you're going to, you know, operate in an environment that isn't, you know, a repeatable, scalable, like a course or something like that, that, that that's that's a product, but it's a service, you would definitely need to put more emphasis on scope creep, defining your proposals, selling the defined limits of what you're of what you're doing. And even though you might not get a lot of business because of it or whatever, you're you're going to make it so much more profitable if you understand the data that's um, defining those those limits. Yeah. And I think a lot of people probably are going to maybe struggle with that too, especially if you feel bad about saying no or like realizing like, oh, I did this for free for so long, but now I'm charging for it. It feels weird. So it's almost like laying down the law and I'm bad at that. That's something I've even noticed with just like onboarding customers for campground booking. It's like for a long time we were doing like free onboarding for our parks because it was like, well, we just need to get as many as we can. And then at a certain point I'm like, spending two, three days onboarding this account, giving them free training and everything else. Like I gotta, we gotta be charging for this <laughs> or just, you know, bury it in the pricing, right? That, so it's not something that is a contention point. And like, I'll be straight up. Like we don't charge for, for setups and we're setting up things like, you know, zero and receipt bank and hub dog and expensify and point of sale systems, just everything but it's all part of the service so it's not like we're saying on a line setup price two thousand dollars it's it's kind of all encompassing um so that's that that's what's worked for us a little bit better totally no that makes sense so at what point so you guys moved back to canada you're running your business from there from 2012 to 2017 and uh at what point did you start thinking about like hitting the road so it sounds like y'all lived in Cayman Islands for a while, went back, uh, got the business going, really focused on that for a while. And then like, when did the whole, like, let's go buy a fifth wheel and hit the road thing come into the picture? My wife, again, my wife, uh, her name's, <laughs> her name's Olga. She's awesome. She's going to be at that escapers bash. Uh, everybody say hi. Um, I owe everything to her for this RV side of our life. Um, because on Father's Day of 2017, she took me to an RV dealership in Nova Scotia, Canada, where we're from. And we went in because we wanted to rent one. And we found out that the rental price for a little Class C was like 1500 bucks a week. And a bigger one was, you know, 2500 or three grand a week. And we're like, whoa, that's amazing. I want to own a rental car company now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so, so as we were talking to the salesperson, I said, can you show us that side of the lot? Like, what are these things? And he's like, let me show you a 21-foot, you know, pull behind. And I said, sure. So we sat in that thing for two hours trying to think if, like, our our life would, like, be like this for a summer. 
And then I said, what are those ones over there? <laughs> and he showed me this 32-foot uh, one-slide uh, little bunk thing. And we bought it on the spot. And he was so surprised, but we just bought it. And then within a couple weeks after the PDI, we took off and we did a cross-Canada tour last uh, summer and included the U.S. We went down to the, um, the Badlands and like uh, Walled Drug and all that stuff and Mount Rushmore and Field of Dreams. But we went up back through Banff and Jasper and then back to back to Halifax. And we did that all in six or seven weeks. And we're like, oh, my God, this is so fun. <laughs> I really, really like this. What can we do? So then we spent the next three to four months researching and just watching YouTube. And my goodness, what a rabbit hole that is. Some great people putting out some amazing content, but you just get lost in it. So we just got super inspired by them and um, seeing what they can do with families. And then ended up going and we're in the, you know, we, we bought a new truck. So we went from a 1500 Dodge Ram to a 3500 Dodge Ram. Uh, we went from that 32 foot trailer and we traded it in and bought a 42 foot Grand Design uh, <laughs> fifth wheel, which is great. And now, now we're on the road. I love it. What, I mean, what, what kind of was, what's the transition been like for you guys? It's like you were, everything was obviously remote, but like, with you guys moving around a lot, like how has your your time and and how you've prioritized things changed? It's not that different than when I was home. It's just a lot cooler and <laughs> visiting better places. So we the the unit that we got was a, a three six seven BHS, um, and what that means is just there's a mid bunk with a loft in it, and uh, we took out the couch and. It's an office, so I'm in a fully enclosed, like three windows uh, looking outside. Um, I, I still work full days. Um, that doesn't change. So Monday to Friday, I'm still working full hours. But if there's a drive day in there or we're just in an epic place, then um, we'll you know block it off in the calendar and, uh, and just enjoy that place and make it up later. I love it. And one just kind of like side note thought I, I was thinking about as you were talking about like those early days, like when you weren't putting health up front and you're probably working like really long days getting this business going. Do you think that you guys would have been able to like balance RV life and, and moving around like during those earlier days, like during live.ca? Or do you no, think you don't? No, because for all the people that have, you know, just spent a lot of time doing something they really love, regardless if it's in business or personal, you put everything into it. And all of those badges of honor that people put for like 18 and 20 hour days. Yeah, it's necessary in some circumstances, because if you don't do it, you're not going to have food on your table and that's really bad. So you do what you can. But when that phase ends, you know, that badge of honor should, should go away. And, you know, I am not, I don't think that we would have been able to do it before because I would wake up at seven and then I would come up for like a half an hour and then, you know, go back to work at night. So I, I don't think we could have done it in those early days for me personally. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. I, kind of been feeling that a little bit lately with what we're, the phase of business that we're at with campground booking is like the to-do list every day. It's just like so many things get off of it and they end back. Like it somehow still ends up bigger at the end of the day than it was before. And yeah. How, how are you coping with that? Well, I mean, right now we're stationary, so I'm working just all day, but, but at the same time, I think one thing that I was kind of feeling towards the end of our time uh, on the road was a big 
conflict and these two big values I have, this value to explore and be in awesome places and to travel with Alyssa and live our best life, for lack of better words, but also this value that I have to like build something bigger than myself that just requires a lot of time and kind of feeling guilty in both areas uh, because I'm not fully appreciating this moment and this place I'm in, but also feeling guilty on the flip side of I'm not investing and on top of this opportunity that I have to build something. And ultimately, like right now where we're at is for the next year being stationary as we get ready for baby and stuff. But it's also given us, given me more time to really go all in to this business that I want to build and grow. But hearing you talk about how, you know, eventually you come up for air as you can hire more people and bring on more folks, you know, like that's where I would like for us to get to as well, like having a team, uh, removing some things from the plate to be able to open up our time to get out there and travel. But I think that it, it is an interesting kind of push and pull, if you will, for people who want to go out and travel and see beautiful places and also realizing like there's seasons of life for everything, right? Yes, absolutely. And uh, look, all, all things aside, I, I hope that you get everything you want out of this. And as much as it's an experiment and you're, you're, you're living this you know, travel slash stationary life. Like, I think you're going to grow as a person, not only just because you're having a baby, but you're getting all of these different experiences and who knows what you're going to do in the next couple of years. But, you know, on, on a personal note, thank you so much for putting this podcast on because it's like top four or five <laughs> right there when I open my podcast list to listen to every week uh, whenever there's a new episode. So, you know, heartfelt thank you. And I'm sure all the other listeners would, would want to thank you in person too for doing this. It's been a, a real pleasure listening to all the episodes, but it takes someone with a lot of, you know, heart to put it together. And I, I hope it's successful on the business side for you as much as it is personally. Thanks, Chad. Really appreciate it, man. Um, last question to turn it back over to you before we, uh, before we wrap up. But as you are out on the road, you've got now a team of 60 plus people at live.ca, a lot of customers. How do you define success and what it is you're, you're building and the life you have? Good question. But if people are Googling or typing in live.ca, it'll be Hotmail. Um, it's liveca.ca. <laughs> so I wanted to say that just in case because uh, they're like, why are they interviewing the guys from Hotmail? This is, uh, this is silly. Um, but this, the success piece, um, good question. I think it comes down to, for me, my, my kids, I have, there's so many cliche answers here, but when it comes to what's really important, it's like, if I can be a pillar that allows for my daughter and my son to be a good human being, and we're giving them these experiences and teaching them like not to live in their iPads and you know, talk to people, get dirty, um, you know, explore, be curious, like learn how to learn and just be like really, really good humans. That's all I want out of this this life from a like superly selfish way. On a on a bigger end, and you know, the people that are around me, like my wife and family, if they really love me at the end of you know my life, however long it lasts, that's success for me. That's awesome answer. And where is a good place for people to connect with you online or follow you guys on social media? Sure. So our website is liveca.ca. There's a bunch of videos of our team retreats um, that we had that on our, our team page. Uh, and then I'm kind of chronicling just some fun photos for our family and friends on Instagram. And my uh, my handle is Chad Davis CDN for Canadian. So Chad Davis CDN. Love it, man. Chad, thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
Appreciate you having me, Pete. Thank you so much. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to that episode. If you want to go say what's up to Chad, go to liveca.ca. You can check out his company or hit him up on the gram. Uh, the cram, that sounds so stupid. Instagram, you know what I mean. Thank you guys so much for listening to this podcast. Y'all are amazing. Uh, just as a quick side note, if you listen to this and you're out on the road, I'm jumping on a plane. Alyssa and I are jumping on a plane tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. from Dallas, going to Las Vegas because we're speaking at a, a conference called Escapers. So it's a Escapers uh, Convergence and it's in Lake Havasu City in Arizona. So we're going to be out there for the next five days. So by happenstance, if you listen to this podcast and you are going to that event, would love to hang out. Come say what's up. Give me a high five or whatever. We can have a drink. Anyway, this podcast needs to end. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'll see y'all next time on the RV Entrepreneur Podcast.